All right, let me pray before we start. Holy Spirit, I pray that you be here with us, fill us to overflowing. Holy Spirit, I pray that you soften our hearts, and I pray that you would come against the enemy in any way that he would try to come against us, bind up in evil spirits that would try to distract us tonight. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would please manifest your gift of teaching in me, uh, that everything that I would say, Lord, tonight would come from you, and I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm gonna, I want to just go over a little bit of teaching of what's going on in the Middle East right now uh, that shows, once again, more evidence of those end times. So the first is a um, video. Uh, it's a news report in Europe that talks about something that is happening right now uh, in the Middle East. It's happening, I think this, this was the newscast that was around the 14th of February, so just like a week ago. And it's pretty inter- interesting. And it's interesting also because people go, why are we not getting this news? Well, the American news media is enamored with the election. So they're, all they're reporting on is you know, who's doing what in the election and then basically throwing Obama under the bus for everything that he does. That's basically the news coverage that you see uh, anymore. So they don't really focus on what's going on over there. And of course, they've been fighting each other over there for so long. Sometimes it just that news doesn't sell in America. But this is very interesting. And the European news picks up on this kind of stuff all the time, and this is that news clip. So the peace treaty doesn't happen, by the way, and two days later, this article comes out. World War III could start this month. 350,000 soldiers in Saudi Arabia stand ready to invade Syria. 350,000 soldiers, 20,000 tanks, 2,450 warplanes, 460 military helicopters are amassing in northern Saudi Arabia for a military exercise that is being called Northern Thunder. According to the official announcement, forces are being contributed by Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Egypt, Jordan, Bahrain, Sudan, Kuwait, Morocco, Pakistan, Tunisia, Oman, Qatar, Malaysia, and several other nations. This exercise will reportedly last for 18 days, and during that time, the airspace over northern Saudi Arabia will be closed to air traffic. This will be the largest military exercise in the history of the region, and it comes amid rumors that Saudi Arabia and Turkey are preparing for a massive ground invasion of Syria. If you are going to gather forces for an invasion, this is precisely how you would do it. So they're gathering these forces. They're calling it war games. The reason that they're doing that is because they don't want a preemptive strike against Russia. They're going in to take out Assad, which is one of those four factions that we looked at week two. And Assad is backed by who? And Iran. And America backs the moderates, the rebels, the ones that Russia already bombed. And Putin has already said... Saudi Arabia or any countries, if you put boots on the ground in this country and you go against Assad, you're coming against us. So this coalition, which, mind you, has never happened, these 20 countries before, with this big of a military action, has never happened, let alone getting together for war games. Now, whether or not they're bluffing or they're not, we don't really know, but it is a serious, serious thing that's going on. Now, here's just a theory. Let's say that they invade. This massive force invades, uh, invades Syria, and Russia responds. Russia responds with force. Wouldn't it be easy for Russia to go, hey, we're already fighting the majority of the Arab nations. Let's just take Israel out while we're doing it. If they did that, what would that be? The Mog, the, yes, the Gog and Magog War, which would be either right after the rapture or right before the rapture. So 
guys, we are really, really close, and things are really, really happening over there. Now, it may settle down for a little while and then get bad again, but this is the stuff that's happening, and we don't hear about it on our newscast. It's, it's, it's crazy. Well, now, to continue tonight, we're going to look at signs and morality. What Scripture says the moral climate is going to be when the end times come. Now, we're living in the most immoral time in history. Our lives and our children's lives have been directly affected in living in this immoral world. We can, we can, we can agree with that. And technology has made immorality very accessible in our homes and on our phones. For someone to look at pornography 15 years ago, they would have had to have gone to a porn shop. They would have had to get a magazine in the mail. They would have had to have gone to a video store that has the special room in the back with the dirty movies, right? That's what you would have had to have done. But anything that you wanted to see 15 years ago, you can now see on any smartphone. It's that easy. And know that Satan wants to make you a slave of sin. He does. He's wanted to do that ever since the times of Egypt. And there's, this, there's a spirit that's called a taskmaster spirit. And the taskmasters in, in Egypt were these slave drivers that would drive the Hebrews to do work. They would, they would enslave them. And, and nothing was ever good enough. And nothing, nothing ever satisfied them. That is the way Lucifer is today. And he is doing a better job than ever before in this society with tempting us and with the, uh, uh, bringing down the morality of, of, of our country and of the world. Now, throughout this series, we've paralleled the days of Noah and Lot at the end, to the end times because that's what Jesus said it would be like. They both lived in very, very immoral cultures, and we're going to look at that again this evening. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 17, 26, when the Son of Man returns, the world will be like the people were in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came to destroy them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual, right up to the hour when the Son of Man returns. This is the Son of Man saying it, by the way. On, the, on that day, a person outside the house must not go into the house to pack. A person in the field must not return to, his, uh, return to town. Remember what happened to Lot's wife? Whoever clings to this life will lose it, and whoever loses this life will save it. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So we've read that scripture before, and we've made these parallels. And tonight we're going to look at the four parallels between our culture and Lot and Noah's culture. The first of which is business as usual attitude in the world. So for Lot and Noah, the people that were, at, that were there at that time were acting like the world was going to go on forever and ever, and that their, life was just, their lives were just going to be accordingly. That's the way it is now. Probably more than ever before. People live for today. They don't think about tomorrow. They don't think about the consequences of their actions. They believe that the world is just going to keep going on and on and on, and they're living that way. It's a business-as-usual attitude, just like it was in their time. Secondly, people are unwilling to listen to the voice of truth. That was the case then. It's an unwillingness to listen to the biblical truth. In Lot's day, Lot was a righteous man, and he proclaimed righteousness and yet had no converts. 
Noah in his day was a righteous man, preached the word of God, and yet had no converts. And the reason was, is because people would not listen to the truth. The third parallel is the sudden removal of the righteous from among the wicked. For those people that believe that they're going to be here during the tribulation really goes against scripture and really goes against looking at this parallel and how it relates. Now, let me ask you a question. How many raindrops touched Noah's head? Zero. He went on the boat and, and, and God shut the boat and then the rain came. In other words... No judgment from God touched Noah or his family. Another question. How many hailstones of fire touched Lot and his family while they were in Sodom and Gomorrah? Zero. The angel came into Sodom and Gomorrah and said, we must take you out of here because judgment can't fall until you are gone. Judgment cannot fall on this world until we are gone. That's the parallel. Here's the next parallel. Cataclysmic judgment. In Noah's day, the flood came and destroyed every single person. In Lot's day, it wasn't water. It was fire and brimstone destroying everyone except Lot and his family. One of the judgments in tribulation will kill one-third of mankind. That's what Revelations 9.15 says. In the tribulation, there is no buying and selling. No one is merrily eating and drinking and marrying because there is no economy. Billions of people have died, and the earth is a smoldering ruin. There's no business as usual. During the tribulation. First Thessalonians 8 says, The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell you how or they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath rescues us from the coming wrath jesus is going to rescue us from the wrath that is to come and thank god for that right first thessalonians 5 9 says for god did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our lord jesus christ he died for us so that we're, uh, whether we are awake or asleep we may live together with him therefore encourage one another encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Let me encourage you and edify you to know that we are not going to go through the tribulation because we are not appointed to suffer wrath. He's not going to judge us as long as we're in this world. So while this tribulation period is happening and all these horrible things are happening on earth, we will be marrying Jesus. A seven-year wedding party. That's what will be happening to us. Now let me comfort you another way. We're going to go through the tribulation. Just so you know, most of us will die. Few of us will live. We're going to get to see all the sea life dead. There's going to be a time where we will have no light to the point where you won't be able to see the hand in front of your face. There's going to be these flying scorpions, and they're going to come around and sting us, and it's it's going to be the worst pain you've ever felt. Don't you feel comforted? 
You can't comfort people by telling them that they're, that they're going to go through the tribulation. The comfort is, is that Jesus is coming from, for us before his wrath. But those that teach that the, tribulate, or that the rapture is going to come midway through the tribulation or at the end of the tribulation, that's basically what they would have to say to you. Yeah, you're, we're going to go. I mean, the end will be good, but man. Now let's look at Noah's world for a minute, specifically. Genesis 6, 9 says, This is the history of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless man living on earth at the time. He consistently followed God's will and enjoyed a close relationship with him. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth had become corrupt in God's sight, and it was filled with violence. God observed all this correction in, this world, in the world, and he saw violence and depravity everywhere. So God said to Noah, I've decided to destroy all the living creatures for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Yes, I will wipe them all from the face of the earth. Now the word for corrupt in Hebrew is shakath and it means evil, filthy, immoral. Doesn't that look like the world today? I mean, the world of Noah wasn't just a bad world. It was an evil world. It was, it was filthy. Now let's look at Lot's world, 2 Peter 2, 4. For God did not spare even the angels when they sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy caves and darkness until the judgment day. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and his family of seven. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. Then God destroyed the whole world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into heaps of ashes and swept them off the face of the earth. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But at the same time, God rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a good man who was sick of all the immorality and wickedness around him. Yes, he was a righteous man who was distressed by the wickedness he saw and heard day, uh, and saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while punishing the wicked right up until the day of judgment. He is especially hard on those who follow their own evil, lustful desires, and who despise authority. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at the glorious ones without so much as trembling. Now, in this scripture, the word filthy is used, and it comes from the Greek word azelgaya. It means licentious, sexual immoral, and insatiable desire for pleasure with absolutely no fear of God. When the angels came to deliver the message to Lot, so these two men who were angels come into Sodom and Gomorrah, and a group of men recognize that they are new, that they're not from the area. They follow them to Lot's house. Once they go into Lot's house, they decide that they're going to start banging on the door, demanding that they can have sex with those angels, with those men. The depravity, right? I mean, it's nuts. And that's the world that Lot was living in. Now, let me read you even a more descriptive scripture about our world in prophecy. So this is our world. That was Lot's and Noah's world. This is what Paul says to Timothy prophetically about what our world is going to look like. 2 Timothy 3.1. You should also know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. 
They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and have no interest in what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act as if they are religious, but they will reject the power that could not uh, could make them godly. You must stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by many desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they, they never understand the truth. And these teachers fight the truth just as Janus and Jembrus fought against Moses. Their minds are depraved and their faith is counterfeit. Pretty good description from a guy that wrote this 2,000 years ago. Now, this is just something that wasn't the case even 30 or 40 years ago, though. The morality of this world is going to hell, but the world that even I grew up in was just different than the world of today. Number one, there was a respect for authority when I was growing up. I mean, if you got in trouble at school, your parents didn't call the ACLU, right? They didn't. If, if, if you got in trouble with school, your parents didn't decide that they were going to schedule a, teach, a meeting with the teacher and, and tell the teacher that really that they're wrong and that, you know, the kid isn't. I mean, when we got in trouble at school, when we got home, we got in trouble at home. That's, that's the way it was. And, you know, the other thing is we never locked our door when, when I was growing up. I don't, even know, I don't even know if my parents knew where the keys to the house was. We never locked the door. And I remember when I was a kid, I would go outside and I would play till all hours of the evening. I would play until you couldn't see the baseball anymore. You couldn't, you couldn't see to catch the football. You would stay out to all hours of the night. And I remember I would ride in the summer, I would ride my bike seven miles from my house to the public swimming pool. And I was like third, fourth, fifth grade. And I would ride my bike all the way across town to the swimming pool. My parents didn't even think about that. They didn't even think about it. You do that today, and it's, you know, it's like, oh, I hope they make it alive. I hope they don't get picked up by a crazy person. I hope they don't get picked up by a pedophile. That's the kind of things that we think about today. It was a different world than what we see today. I remember that when I was growing up, we had three TV stations. There's just, remember, there's three, right? ABC, NBC, CBS. And I remember too that at a, like, a, there was no like staying up late and watching stuff on TV that you shouldn't watch because the TV was off at 1130. And they would always play the national anthem. And then, at, then as soon as the national anthem was over, it would go, and there's like this rainbow color on the TV. You remember that? I remember if I was staying up late, I'd watch the news and I would watch MASH. You might watch Johnny Carson, but after Johnny Carson, it was over. That was over. And then the launch of cable. Do you remember how cool cable was back in the day? You had those cable boxes. Click, 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 click. And there was like 12 stations now. And you got one in Atlanta, and you got one in Chicago. And then America's team was all of a sudden the Atlanta Hawks and Atlanta Braves. I mean, that was, that was it. And, and then, then the launch of MTV, and then the launch of ESPN. Who just said whoo to MTV? Oh my gosh. That's a sign of the times right there. <laughs> video killed the radio star. Remember the first video that was on there? Yeah. Different world. 
You assume, though, in that world that your neighbors were Christians. I assumed that all my teachers were Christians. People, people were generally moral. I mean, there were immoral people, but generally people were, were moral. Today, we see a complete rejection of all of that, especially since the internet. Do you notice that when the internet got popular and all of the avenues of sin that you could just get right in your house, how the depravity increased, how the morality decreased. And I actually had somebody explain to me once with the internet, right? Right when it was first coming out, I was like, you know, I just don't know if this is a good thing. And they said, well, you know, it's, it's like this. It's, a, it's like bringing the, the world of shopping and the world of entertainment right into your house to where you can just have it at any time. And there's going to be good stuff and there's going to be bad stuff. But unfortunately, the morality has gone down with the bad stuff. Immorality is just about, isn't just about sexuality. Immorality is about character. When a person becomes immoral, it affects every fiber of their character. Now, not at first. Not at first. I mean, you start going down the road of immorality, you can't tell a whole lot. But the longer that you're there, it's like a cancer. And once you become immoral, it, it seeps into every essence of your being. Morals are there to protect the reasons for morals are the protection of relationships, really. If I'm a moral person, I'm not going to hurt you. If I'm a moral person, that means that you are safe around me. Your family is safe around me. If I'm an immoral person, I'm going to damage you. Immorality destroys people's lives. And the scripture also says that people are going to be unloving towards each other. That's what we just read in Timothy. When I started out, in ministry uh, almost 30 years ago, you never would see a woman leave her family. You would never see that. I mean, you might see men that would leave their family, and, and, but to a much lesser extent than today. But you would never see a woman leave her family. Today, we see parents actually not only leave their family, but they will prey on their family. We see this in the news. We see families that are, that are killing each other, literally. I mean, how many times do you see reports where it's this parent, you know, they, they abused this child and they died? Or you see this child got mad at their parents and they killed them in their sleep. That's just a sign of the times that those things did not happen 30 or 40 years ago. And when it comes to pornography and the sex trade, it has gotten completely out of control. Now, for, for, for as long as we can remember, somebody would get into infidelity. They might cheat on their spouse with somebody. They might fall into a sinful relationship. Then, you know, they may or may not get out of that. But in today's society, men are leaving their wives, not so that they can have an, a, a relationship with one woman. They're leaving their wives so they can have a relationship with a bunch of women. You notice that? They want to go out and play the real world on MTV at 40 years old. They want, to, they want to have sex with as many women as they can. Now, why do you think that that's the case? The reason that's the case is because pornography and the sex trade has gone so out of control in this world, and it's so easily acceptable that it's creating appetites, not only in men, but also in women, that a normal man or wife relationship can never, can never live up to. 
when a man or a woman looks at pornography and they look at all those different images, understand physically, yes, you may not actually be there with that person, but your soul and your mind does not know the difference. So you're getting a sexual high off of this pornography, off of multiple women or multiple men. And that high can only come about now when you're looking at that or when you're with different women or different men. And that's what we see. We see we're see we seeing people leave their marriage, not for one person, but so that they can go play the field and have sex with as many different people as they can. Now understand, if, if you're struggling with pornography, you can be free from that. If you're, studying, if you're, if you're uh, struggling with any immor- immoral sin and you're starting to go down the road, you can get help and you can get free and you can reverse that. But the longer you stay in it, the more progressive and the more evil that it gets. I've also seen adults leave their spouse for a person that they met in a video game. I know some people laugh at that, but it's true. They can communicate with different people as they play a video game, and they're only seeing an avatar. So they're only seeing a character of this person. So they never even see the person, but they make an emotional connection as they game with this person. Guys, I've seen, I've seen, a, I've seen a woman and I before at women and men before that will pack up and leave their family to go spend time with this person that they've met online playing a video game and have an affair. It's, it's crazy, but it's true. And that type of morality has immorality has never existed. This is the society that we live in right now. This is why God hates immorality, because it destroys the people of God that God loves. Our God is a loving God, and God created morality to protect those that he loves. That's why Paul says that dangerous times are going to come, and we're living in those dangerous times today. People do not have moral restraints. We hear about people today that get mad at work. They go home, they get a gun, they come back, and they shoot everybody there. Sarah, how many times do you hear that? Now, this scripture also describes perverted, a perverted value system. And man, do we see that today. So what I want to do is I want to take the 19 things that Paul said, and I want to break them down into four categories of what Paul is trying to describe here. The first thing he's trying to describe is an exaltation of self and narcissism. That's what he's trying to say. The world, when Jesus comes back, is going to be filled with exaltation of self and narcissism. Lovers of self, proud, haughty, headstrong. Now, I don't know about you, but, I, but I'm kind of a, an old school dude when it comes to sports. I just am. And when I grew up and I watched sports growing up, it was, it was so different. When they did well, they celebrated with their team because it's a team sport in a classy way. They realized that they couldn't have done what they just did without their team. Now, I'm a Cam, I, I like Cam Newton, but this is something that's just very much in the news right now, or just was. Cam Newton is a Cam, Cam Newton is, professes to be a Christian guy. I, I believe that he is, but and I don't have a problem with him. But I have a problem with how he acts. Anybody that's a quarterback that runs into the end zone and opens up his shirt symbolically like he's Superman, slaps every one of his offensive linemen in the face. Like, I got here on my own. You didn't do this. I'd love to see Cam Newton run behind the Broncos' offensive line this year. 
See how many times he gets in the end zone and he's Superman. It's it, it, to, to, to celebrate yourself in a team sport is absolutely ridiculous. And, but the players today, they do that. They all do that for the most part. But you'll get a few of those where they'll call, yeah, but he's old school. Peyton Manning, he's old school. Or that person, he's old school. He just doesn't do that. Or they'll say, well, the reason that certain people celebrate that way is it's cultural. It's a cultural thing. And I go, so Cam, you're telling me it's a cultural thing. So you're telling me that African-Americans can't be humble? I mean, they have to just be cocky and they just have to promote themselves? That's a slap in the face to African-Americans. Humility used to be a beautiful thing. To be humble and not to be prideful used to be a, a, a beautiful thing. I remember when I was growing up, my coach used to tell me, hey, act like you've been there before. Throw the ball to the ref and go celebrate with your team. You're in the end zone because you all work together. But in today's society, it's all about me and how great I am. And that's all sports. It's not just the NFL. That's what's being taught from television to our kids. Kids are practicing their touchdown dance before they've ever even scored their first touchdown. So, narcissism. The promotion of self, it's all over the place. Secondly, a rejection of authority. If you're in authority, authority position, this is a dangerous world for you. It's vogue in our society to question and resist authority from parents, teachers, government, spiritual leaders, you name it, right? The scripture says, disobedience to their parents and being just ungrateful. The police of America are under assault in our country. They're under under assault. First responders are very special people that are out there to protect us, to help us when we're in trouble. Not for us to fight against. And as far as I'm concerned, you can't pay those people enough for what they do. Parents are under assault. Teachers are under assault. Go talk to a school teacher in today's society and and let them tell you some stories about some things that they are seeing. It will blow you away. And talk about somebody that's underpaid. I think first responders and our teachers should be the highest paid people in the country. Yet we're paying somebody that carries a pigskin across a line billions of millions of dollars, right? Isn't that isn't it a little backwards? It, it is to me. The Bible says that when you're in rebellion, you have the same spirit as the Antichrist. It also says that it is as witchcraft. So it is as the sin as witchcraft. Witchcrafts are pretty bad, but when you're in rebellion, the Bible says, up, oh, rebellion is just as bad as witchcraft. So rejection of authority, rejection of moral standards. That's the other thing Paul's trying to say here. Those are, there's going to be people that are despisers of good. That's what the scripture says. If, the person, if a person is in the public eye, makes a moral stand in some way, they are absolutely persecuted for it, aren't they? Tim Tebow announced to the world that he was a virgin. And he was absolutely crucified for saying that. In today's society, people that are virgins or try to save themselves from marriage are so looked down upon, are so made fun of, they're totally, how, how can you marry somebody if you haven't slept with at least 12, 13 women to know what good sex is? 
That's, that is reality of what is being taught in our culture today. And from a, from a morality standpoint, if you make a stand, you're going to be made fun of it for it. it it's nuts. There is an entire industry out there that is, that is about making fun of people. Despisers of good means that you will be persecuted for doing good. You're going to be persecuted for it. And that is schools. Look at our kids. They try to make a moral stand. They're going to be made fun of for it. Oh my gosh, they're going to be made fun of for it. The heat that they're going to take. And it's because of this, 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 this time that we're living in. And Paul saw it. Here's the other thing. Disloyal, unloving, and verbally vicious. You know, so it's one thing when we reject moral standards, but now we're going to just be in disloyal. I don't know that people really understand what it means to be loyal anymore. I don't know that they get it. I don't know if people know how to be a loyal employee. A loyal employee, mean, a loyal employee means that you don't throw your, your boss under the bus to each other that you, you have your, your co-workers back, that you have your bosses back, that you have your companies back. If somebody's talking a smack about your company, you defend it. If somebody's talking smack about your boss, you defend it. That's loyalty. But in today's society, you make fun of your boss. You talk them down. You tear them down. You gossip about your co-workers. You try to make them look bad so you can make yourself look good. Disloyalty is rampant unloving and verbally abusive. Kids are committing suicide because of the things that are being said about them on social media. That's nuts. Somebody posts a picture of somebody that shouldn't, should be private on social media. Or they spread a rumor about them. Or they, 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 they say that there's, you know, they say some lie about them. And it is so devastating to that kid's life that they'll just, they end their life. Like I said a second ago, there's an entire industry of gossip, and they don't care whose lives they destroy. TMZ, Entertainment Tonight, Extra, Entertainment News, plus all of the magazines. All the magazines, the covers covers that sell are all about tearing somebody else down. Now, just look at how much this has changed just in the last 75 years. When Franklin Delano Roosevelt was president during World War II, he was in a wheelchair. Did you guys know that? The people didn't know, though. The media did, but the people of America didn't know he was in a wheelchair. And the media did not want to show our president in a weakened state because they felt it, would be, it wouldn't be good for the country. So they would pose him in, in, uh, behind pedestals or have him seated so you couldn't see that he, he wasn't able to walk. They wanted to protect our leader. Man, how things have changed. Today, if any leader has even a small thing wrong in their life, they will be viciously attacked for it and, will be u- and it will be used to try to destroy their life. You look at a People magazine or a, a OK magazine, or, or, you know, and you don't even have to go to the tabloids, which are almost always lies, but you go to these, and you know what? You never hear anything about what uh, philanthropists uh, Brad and Angelina uh, are. Right? You, never, you never hear about the fact that they've donated hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars to dig wells in Africa so tribes can have water. You, you know, that would never be on the cover of People magazine. Brad and Angelina donate $3 million to help these starving people in Africa. What do you, what do you see instead? 
Brad and Angelina are in trouble. Brad and Angelina are shown that their marriage is going to make it. They isn't going to make it. They're going to divorce or, or, or they make fun of them about how they raise their kids or whatever. That's what people read, not the good things that people do. And these are the things that are happening in our day and the day that we're living in. Now, if you reverse that, because I've had people say, okay, Tim, you say we're, we're at the end here. I mean, we're within, say, 12 years at the most of, of, of the absolute end. It could happen at any time. All the signs are there. What are we supposed to do? Well, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be the antithesis to what Paul described is going to happen. And the first thing that we have to do is we have to exalt God over ourselves. That's the first thing we should do. Godly people should not be haughty or proud. Godly people should exalt God over themselves and should be humble. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, the Bible there says that we should clothe ourselves with humility. Why do you think it says it that way, that descriptively? What do you have to do with clothes on a daily basis? You have to wash them, except for Sam. But uh, you have to change them, right? You have to put on clothes every day. And what this is saying is, is we're not naturally humble. So we have to put on humility every day. Bind that spirit of pride and clothe ourselves with humility. Now, don't ask God to humble you. I always say that. Don't ask God to humble you because you don't want that. But just ask God, say, Lord, just help me to be humble today and bind that spirit of pride. Part of the sin nature uh, is that we're prideful. And when walking in humility, we're saying, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. This is why praise and worship is so important because it exalts God over everything else. When you get here early and you guys are worshiping, and you get here on time and you're, you got your hands in the air and you're singing that praise and worship to the Lord, you're saying, God, you're more important than me. God, you're more important than anything else. That's what worship is all about. The second thing we got to do is we got to submit to God's authority and his delegated human authority. This all goes back to the awesome teaching that we heard uh, that was by John Bevere, the undercover teaching. And that was probably one of the series that we did in our small groups that changed our church from the grassroots level. Like it just changed who we were because we really started to understand what submission was and what coming underneath authority does and the protection that happens as a result of that. Number three, the acceptance of absolute moral standards in the Bible. Oh, please hear me on this because we are losing this in society. We all want to do things in the Bible that it says that we should do for Christians, right? And we all will mess up from time to time. There's times that we're, we're not going to do the things that the Bible tells us to do. But committing a sin means that you make a mistake and you ask for forgiveness. We all know that. Practicing sin means I'm going to do it. It's okay. I'll do whatever I want, anytime I want, and I'll find a scripture to try to make it look right. It's my lifestyle. It's the way I live. That is what is going on in our culture today. Because it's like, and you know what? And that's why the Bible says that only 50% of the church is going to be raptured. Because people think they're saved. People think that they're not living in rebellion. People think, oh, grace covers it. After all, Jesus died for it. That's what I've heard before anyway. But they've never made a relationship with the Lord. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. We all know that scripture, right? 
But then Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, but then don't do what I say? Because the word Lord means master. You can't come to Jesus and make him your Lord and then tell him what the terms are. But that's what this society says. Lord, I want you to save me, but I don't want you to tell me who I can sleep with. And, uh, you know, let me tell you that morally what I, I'm going to do and you're going to be okay with it. And, and you need to be okay with it because after all, we're living in the year 2016. Where we've evolved. The scripture is and has always been about what the truth is, regardless of what century it might be and how progressive and accepting and enlightened we think we are. I heard this liberal talk show host the other day, and he actually was a, was a sportscaster. And he said that those with conservative beliefs have just not evolved enough in their thinking to be as accepting as they will be. The people of Noah's and Lot's day were very accepting and involved and evolved. Right. If we evolve enough, then we'll just accept everybody and what they do. God says, accept everybody. He doesn't say, accept what they do. Loving others loyally and sacrificially. That's what the other, the last thing we need to look at tonight. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for you will be called sons of God. Loyalty and sacrifice are the things that made our country great. When this country was founded, that's what it was all about. These were the views of our founding fathers. It was the spirit of our nation while we were ascending to greatness. Now that we've become a very immoral nation, we are failing in every category. Matthew 5.13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness... How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. But you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light, uh, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stands, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. As we're living in these last days, we need to be a light in this world. Our life needs to show someone else the way to God. Instead of other people drawing us into sin, we need to be drawing people into righteousness. We need to be bold about our faith. Man, Noah and Lot both uh, were bold about their faith in evil times and the, that they were living in. Don't be ashamed. Don't be fearful. God wants to use you to save others. We need to be praying for an opportunity to share our faith on a daily basis. God, open up a door. This class has been a great way to do that. It has. Because, it, it man, it, it spurs conversation. And I've used it over and over again. This, this is how I used it the other day. So I, I've really been wanting to get a Jeep. I've been looking for a Jeep since like September. Okay, I've been wanting this Jeep. And so I go into this guy and, and he says, okay, he says, he says, you want to finance it? And I said, yeah, I'm wanting to finance it. He goes, so, you know, for how long? What's the terms? I said, I want you to stretch it out as long as you can. <laughs> and I said this, I said, because Jesus is coming and I'm going to stick Chrysler with it. That's what I said. And he laughed. And then we realized, you know, that we were both Christians. 
But I can't tell you how many times I've been talking to somebody and I'm just like, hey, look, man, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Don't, don't worry about that. Hasn't this course changed your perspective about what you need to worry about and what you don't need to be worried about? That's wonderfully freeing and liberating. And you want, you know what? You want to share this with other people so they can be as liberated as you've become, so that they can be as free as you are. Use that. Look for opportunities. Mark 8, 38 says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now I want you to think about something for a second. Before the flood, Noah starts building this boat. Now understand, it had never rained before. In Noah's day, the earth got its moisture from dew that came from the ground. So it never rained. But God told Noah, you need to build this boat. Do you realize what a fool Noah must have looked like to all of his, all the people that were around him? How much they would have ridiculed him and made fun of him for his beliefs. But when it started raining and, and God locked him in that boat, and for days they heard the banging on the side of that boat for them to let those people in. Noah looked pretty smart after that, didn't he? How much of a genius did Lot look like when he took his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah when the fire and brimstone came? Lot looked pretty smart. You may be being ridiculed for your beliefs right now, but how smart are you going to be when you're partying in heaven at a, at a wedding and the people that you have told over and over again that this was coming and they didn't accept it and they made fun of you for it? They're going to see. You know, I personally believe, because, you know, I get people all the time and they're like, you know, I, I have this person that I love and I'm just so afraid they're not going to be raptured. I have, they're not going to go to heaven if they die. Da, 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 da. This is the way I look at it. For those that we have been working on for a long time, that never receive Christ or never change their ways, who do you think are going to be the best evangelists when the rapture comes? God is going to need evangelists in this world. Now understand, there's 144,000 that are going to be Jews that are going to be uh, set apart and protected uh, to be those evangelists. But I absolutely believe that there's going to be evangelists in America, and it's, because it's going to be because they knew the truth, but they didn't accept it. <clears throat> keep living for God, not this world, no matter what people think or say. Hebrews 10, 23 says, think of ways to encourage one another. You know what? Pray that God would give you a gift of encouragement. That's a gift. To outbursts of love and good deeds. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. So the Bible says right here, this is what you do, guys, when the end is near. You encourage each other. You love each other. You promote good deeds with each other. And he says, do not neglect your meeting together, which means don't stop going to church because you need each other. The author is saying that if you get alone and you get isolated, you're a target. So as times get bad, draw closer to the Lord, draw closer to his church, draw closer to serving him. 
Because here's the thing. I've been in ministry for 30 years. I got saved when I was six years old. I don't really know what it is is to not be saved, right? I mean, of course, I've not been perfect, and I've made tons of poor choices. But I can tell you right now that if I started to forsake the gathering for myself, if I stopped going to church and I stopped serving, I would fall. I need church, and I need God's ministry more than it needs me. So guys, hang in there, and don't man, don't miss Sundays. Don't miss... Get in a small group. Without my small group that I meet with every other week, I couldn't have, I don't know that I, how well I would have managed going through the trials that I've gone through in the last 10 years. I, and maybe I'd have made it, but I would have made it way more beat up than I, than, I, than I am now. But I mean, when you have that support and you have that accountability around you, that's why God created the body of Christ. That's why he created it. If not, you'd just be an easy target. So let's, 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 let's covenant together that we know the end is coming, but we're going to stay strong and we're going to stay united. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for this time we've had together tonight. And I pray, Lord, that you would keep us moral. I pray, Lord God, that you would keep us righteous. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to um, continue to witness and to put your word out there and put the truth out there. And Lord, I thank you that you love us so much that you want to save us from wrath. You want to save us from judgment. And I thank you, Lord, that we're going to be able to party together for seven years while everybody else is going through judgment. But help, Lord God, I know that's why, I know that's why you're holding the rapture back, is just so every person possible can be saved. Because you don't want to see anybody go through that, Lord, that doesn't have to. And we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Thank you, God, for how awesome you are. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so before you leave, if you want to ask questions, there should be some three-by-five cards back there. And then Jen is right outside the hall, right outside those doors. So if you want to order, you don't have to pay tonight, but if you want to order those CDs, let her know so she can make sure she has enough. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.